In words, I'd like to say also, along with Sister Holly, we have enjoyed being in your district. And the kindness and the fellowship of Brother and Sister Two, Brother and Sister Johnson, and other members of the board and the fellow ministers of your district and saints of God. And uh, the wonderful, beautiful spirit of worship that is not a type of worship that has to be primed or pumped. It just flows out like a river. That shows you the beauty and the power of the Holy Ghost inside of our hearts. Can you say amen? So while we stand tonight, we will go back. I thought I was through with this message last night. But we got the devil down, we might as well have been. Give him a haymaker first Tuesday night. Knocked him out cold last night. We'll just bury him on tonight and get rid of him. Just get him come on out of the way. <laughs> Amen. So we go back to our original text. 16th chapter of the book of St. Matthew. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And as far as I'm going to read tonight, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Would you ask the Lord to bless the Word of God tonight? Shall we pray? Everybody pray and ask the Lord to bless this precious word. Praise the name of Jesus. Love you, Lord. We love you. We love you. We need you. We need you. We need you. We need you. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. I need you to touch me. With your spirit, open my understanding to your word. Bless your people tonight, dear Lord, as we come to the word of of God through the Holy Ghost. Bless it to our hearts. Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. You may be seated. Thank you very much. I covered some things last night that I feel like are very dear to the heart of Pentecostal people. The Bible said, Know the truth and it shall set you free. 
It's a truth that sets people free. And how can you be set free if you don't know the truth? And how are you going to know the truth? Somebody don't preach it to you. So, preachers have got to preach the truth. If truth is going to set people free. Free from what? Free from sin, free from tradition, free from false doctrines. Free from a whole lot of things. We dealt last night concerning the, the Godhead. And we asked the question. Our subject was in the form of a question. Is Jesus all of the fullness of the Godhead or is he only the second person in the Godhead? Tonight we want to go a little step further and ask another question. Is Jesus Christ the eternal Son of God or the begotten Son of God? I thought I'd get on that right hand of God business tonight, but I, I see I'm not going to be able to get to that. Because I done got into something on this. It, it's going to take longer now than what you probably want to wait on here tonight for preach. But... Uh, <laughs> I don't mean I just today got a brand new revelation about about this, but I'm just saying that the Lord is just working me over with it real good. And uh, we read to you last night the Trinitarian concept of the Godhead. They believe in just one God, but they believe that there are three separate individualities in that Godhead. They believe that they are three persons in that Godhead, and they believe that they are co-equal, co-eternal, and co-existent. They believe that Jesus Christ, they believe that God the Father is the first person in the Godhead. They believe that Jesus Christ is the second person in the Godhead, and they believe that the Holy Spirit is the third person in the Godhead. They teach... You heard me tell you that I got the textbook. I know what to teach. I went to the seminary and I went into their bookstore and I said, I want, I told the lady at the sales desk, I said, I want the textbook that you teach in this seminary on the Trinity that you use as a textbook. So she showed it to me and I bought it. That's been a long time ago. So I know what they believe and I know what they teach. As far as their doctrine is concerned. So that's what they believe. So they believe and they teach that Jesus Christ is the second person in the Godhead. They also teach that he's the eternal Son of God. Now, how in the world can you be co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal and yet be a son? Because the word son itself tells you what 
That person is, is an offspring. The word son is a title denoting relationship. There's no such a thing as eternal sonship. I meant the very, the very term itself proves that the, that the thing is wrong. There is a doctrine of sonship, but there's no doctrine in the Bible of eternal sonship. Now, the scripture that they use to substantiate their doctrine. I'm going to ask Brother King to turn to that scripture. It's John 17, 5. I didn't put it on your list, but... You can add it right now. He got so many now, he never will get to them all. So he might as well start out with this. So the Trinity says Jesus Christ is the second person of Godhead, which he is the eternal Son of God. And they used to substantiate that doctrine, eternal sonship. One of the scriptures, and the main one, is John 17, 5, to argue the point. Well, let's see what John 17, 5 says. Read it, Brother King. Now listen carefully what the man said. Glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I have with thee before the world was. Hmm. Now that sounds just exactly like he was sitting up there with him before the world was, don't he? Say, well, I don't know what you're going to do with that. Well, I ain't through yet. I'm just getting started. First of all, I'll come back to this. I just want you to hear the scripture that they use. Jesus is a friend. And if you notice the book of John, it is a book of redemption. The 17th chapter, he's a dealing with his fleshly work on this earth. He's fixing to die. And the previous verse says in his prayer, the hour is come. Started off with the hour is come. It's getting close to the cross time. Getting close for him to die. And in relating his fleshly work of redemption on this earth. He's a praying a prayer. Now he's fixing to die. He knows he's going to be put in a grave. He knows he's going to be resurrected. He knows he's going to stay on this earth for 40 days and nights and appear to disciples and, and, and groups of people. He already knows all that. He knows he's going to lead his people uh, out as far as Bethany. And then he knows that he's going to send to heaven. Now, you know good and well that he cannot pray a prayer for God to bring him somewhere where he already is fixing to go in about 40 or 50 days. Now, what the Trinity says, he's a prayer to God, Lord, I want you... Or, Father, I want you to bring me back to heaven and set me back up here in your presence like I was all these times from eternity. 
Well, he didn't have to pray that prayer because he's automatically going to heaven. When he dies, it comes out of that grave. So that would be a senseless prayer for Jesus to pray. He already told his disciples. In fact, he shook his finger and all that bunch of faith said, said, you take, you destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up again. He knew, he knew he was going to be raised out of that grave. So the prayer that he's a praying wasn't, had nothing to do with what the Trinity folks say that it had to do. Nothing whatsoever. He was already going to go to heaven. And when you get to heaven and sit on a throne, like John saw him sit on a throne in the ninth teach in the twenty-first chapter, uh, the twenty-first chapter of the book of Revelation, then you know that he's in heaven. So he wasn't praying. He wasn't praying to go back up there and to be in the presence of the Father, be able to sit on the right hand of the Father. I can't get in the right hand tonight, but. Oh, that right hand don't mean direction like you think it does and like the Trinity thinks it does. It means position. I, I ain't going to preach on the God here tomorrow night unless I'm inspired to do it. But I want to get away from that if I can. Because, you see, when you look, run references on the right hand of God, let me just give you a brief to just to show you that it don't mean direction. It means power, position, glory, message. I got to get on this, and I will in a minute, but I, I got to go around by Jones' house to get to it. <laughs> Moses in referring to God dividing the Red Sea described it as the right hand of God that parted the waters. Now you know good and well, and then you know good and well when you read the account of the children of Israel crossing the Red Sea, God didn't come down there and reach down with a physical hand and part the waters. The Bible talks about the finger of God. David talked about the finger of God. God never come down there with a finger and done anything. It's just a just a figurative of speech describing the power, the position, and the glory, and the majesty of God Almighty. So when you're talking about Jesus sitting on the right hand of God, you just are talking about Jesus elevated and exalted to the position that he was supposed to be in. And I can't go into that. I'll have to quit now on that. So let's get back to the eternal son. So John 17 and 5. They used to argue the point that Jesus Christ was praying to the Father, asked the Father to bring him back to heaven, let him sit up there or stand up there on his right hand, and uh, sit on a throne by him and have the glory that he had with him before the world. But if you'll notice the phrase, he didn't say, let me have the glory that I had with you from eternity. He said from the world. There's a vast difference between the glory from the eternity and the glory from the world. All right. That's the secret of the explanation of this verse right here. But first of all, let's look at the two words, eternal and begotten. And let's see what the Bible says. 
Now, the Trinity says that Jesus Christ was the eternal Son of God. Alright? The word eternal means everlasting, without beginning, without ending. It means forever. The word begotten means to beget, to bring forth, to bring in, to be in our existence. Now, what does the Bible... You see, the two words themselves contradict each other and mean completely opposite things. The term eternal son is not found in the Bible. No, sir. Just like none of that three persons in the Godhead that we talked about. You know, they call Jesus Christ God the Son. There's nowhere in the Bible that describes Him or calls Him or refers or even insinuates that He's God the Son. No, sir. You show me one verse of Scripture, Trinitarian, where the Bible says that Jesus Christ is God the Son. But I can show you plenty of scriptures in the Bible where it says he's the Son of God. Right. And there's a vast difference between being the Son of God and God the Son. Yes, sir. So you see, Trinitarians establishes a doctrine that the Bible don't even substantiate. Just like this eternal sonship business. They call it, they say that he's eternal son. Uh, where the Bible does not say that he's the eternal son. Nowhere in the Bible that mentions anything about Jesus Christ being the eternal son of God. Everywhere the Bible mentions anything about the sonship, it always says the begotten son of God. All right. Read for me, John. No, you didn't have that. I scratched that out. I'll just refer to it. John 1, 14. Let me, let me turn over there and read to you. I'll show you. Let's see what the Bible said. Now, the Trinity says he's eternal son. Well, where do they get the doctrine? They don't get it from the Bible. The Bible don't say that's about Jesus Christ being the eternal son. What does the Bible say is? The Bible says in the John, the first chapter, get your Bible and mark it. You don't believe the Bible said. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, for yes. of grace and truth. Didn't say nothing about eternal. Right. John 3.16 clearly says, For God so loved the world that He gave not His only eternal Son. No. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah to God. He didn't say that. Well, how can you make an eternal son out of a begotten son? The word son itself tells you that the, that son was brought into existence or into being. Yes, sir. It denotes relationship. It means that you're an offspring. It means that there was a time that you did not exist. So there was a time, according to John 3.16, that Jesus Christ did not exist as a son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten, not eternal, but begotten Son. All right. Now, let's go to verse 18 of that same chapter. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not 
is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of not the eternal Son, but the only begotten Son of God. Yes, sir. So the Bible establishes the doctrine that Jesus Christ was not the eternal Son of God, but he was the begotten Son of God. There's no scripture in the New Testament that refers to Jesus as the eternal Son of God. So how can you believe a doctrine that cannot be substantiated from the Word of God? I'm telling you that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. He is not the eternal Son of God. All right. So when you go to 1 John 4 and 9, I'll just, it's the same thing. He substantiates the same thing and calls Jesus Christ the only begotten Son of God. So everywhere there's a reference to Jesus Christ, His Sonship, it refers to Him as the begotten Son of God, not the eternal Son of God. So, a begotten Son cannot be an eternal Son. There's no way that a begotten son can be an eternal son. It's be contradictory to the word of the Lord. All right. I'm going to show you something here tonight. So stay with me a little while. Would you do it? The Bible tells us that there was a certain day that the son came into existence. Read for me Psalms 2 and 7. Let's go back to the Old Testament and look at a little prophecy here. I will declare the decree. I will declare and decree. The Lord has said unto me. The Lord has said unto me. Thou art my son. Thou art my son. This day. This day. Have I begotten have thee. Have I begotten thee. This day have I begotten thee. I will declare it and I will decree it. That this day I have begotten thee. This day I have brought you, my son, into existence. This day, my son, you never existed before this day. But after today, you will be a son. And you will be the son, the only begotten son of God. Alright, so we, we see that, that this scripture here refers to a certain day. Alright, read Luke 1, 31-35. And let's see what, or when this day is going to come about. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb. All right, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb. And bring forth a son. And bring forth a son. Now let's find out who this son is going to be that's going to be in the womb of this young virgin, Mary. All right, read. Thou shalt bring forth a son. And shalt call his name Jesus. And shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great. He shall be great. And shall be called the son of the highest. And shall be called what? The Son of the Highest. The Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him. And the Lord God shall give unto him. The throne of his father David. The throne of his father David. Now you know that's talking about Jesus, don't you? Right. All right. Hallelujah. If it's a talking about Jesus, it's a talking about the only begotten Son of God. Not talking about an eternal Son. All right, so he's going to sit on the throne of his father, David. And he shall reign. And he shall reign. Over the house of Jacob. Over the house of Jacob. Forever. Forever. Now notice. Read. And of his kingdom. And of his kingdom. There shall be no end. end. 
Then said Mary unto the angel, Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be? How in the world is all this going to come about? Seeing I know not a man. See, not that I have, uh, I'm not, I know not a man. And the angel answered and said unto her, The angel answered her and said, The Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost. Shall come upon thee. Shall come upon thee. And the power of the highest. And the power of the highest. Shall overshadow thee. Shall overshadow thee. Therefore. Therefore. Also. Listen to this. Therefore also. That holy thing. That holy thing. Which shall be born of you. Which shall be born of you. Shall be called. Shall be called. The Son of God. The Son of God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Right there is the day that is going to be called the Son of God. Hallelujah. That would fulfill the prophecy and the decree and the declaration of Psalms 2 and 7. Hallelujah. I'm telling you that Jesus Christ was not the eternal Son of God. He was the begotten Son of God according to the Scripture. So you know good and well when you go back to John seventeen five when he talks about Lord glorify me and let me have the glory that I had before I come to this earth. You know he can't be talking about eternal sonship because he was not an eternal son. The Bible doesn't say it. So he's got to be talking about something else. Amen. All right, let's look at it here now. Let's look at it in Luke 2, 6 through 7. Now we'll go back and refer while Brother King is getting this verse of Scripture. Luke 2, 6 and 7. Luke 1, 31, 35 prophesied. Uh, the angel did that Mary was going to conceive and bring forth a son. And that son would be called the Son of God. She didn't know how it was going to happen. See, she knew not a man. Uh, she wasn't married yet. She was just engaged to a young man named Joseph. He said, I'll tell you how it's going to happen. The Holy Ghost is going to overshadow you. And that which is born of you is going to be of the power of God. And a miraculous move of the Spirit upon you. And you shall bring forth a child. And when it comes time for that child to be delivered, you're going to call him the Son of God. When was that day fulfilled? Go to Luke 2, 6 and 7 and tell you when it was fulfilled. And so it was. And so it was. That while they were there. That, all right, now what, what it is, you know, that they had to go to Bethlehem for tax and all that kind of stuff. You know the story of the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, and it tells you that in the first five verses. Don't have time to read all that. All right, so they got down there, and about the time that they got down there, she began to have some labor pains. And they went to the inn, tried to find a place to get a room so the baby could be born. And they couldn't find no place because there wasn't no room. They finally found a stable out there, and in that stable, they was there, and this is what happened to her while she was there in that stable. What did he say? The days were accomplished. The days were accomplished. Right. This is a day. For nine months he's carried this baby. And now then there's labor pains. And this is a certain day that, that Psalms 2 and 7 prophesied about. Right. That there would be a day that this Son of God would come. Hallelujah. He said there'd be a day. And this is a day that when the days were accomplished, what happened? That she should be delivered. That she should be delivered or right. the baby was to be born. And she brought forth. And she brought forth her firstborn her son. Firstborn. And wrapped him in and wrapped him clothes, in swaddling clothes. And laid him in and a manger. Laid him in a manger. That was the day that the Son of God was born. Right, right there in Sir. that manger. Amen. That's the first time that the Son of God ever existed. 
Oh, yes. Hallelujah. Can you see it? Can you see it? Can you see it? He did not exist as an eternal son. He didn't come down here from heaven uh, as the second person in the Godhead or as the eternal son. He never did exist in heaven as a son. The first time that that body ever went to heaven was when it ascended to heaven from Mount Olivet. Jesus and the Son never was out there before that time. So it's right here in Bethlehem that this day <laughs> the Son of God was born. That's why he called him his only begotten Son, because he brought him into existence. Now, I, I tried to show you last night what the purpose of the, of the sonship was. You see, the sonship uh, has to do with the body or the flesh of Jesus Christ or His humanity, which was, of course, going to be the means through which uh, souls could be saved. He was the Lamb of God, taketh away the sins of the world, died on the cross of Calvary, that we might have redemption for our soul. So the, all of the work of redemption that the types of the Old Testament pointed to Jesus Christ, they had to have a body. I, uh, uh, the Hebrews said, uh, 10.3, I believe it is, he said that uh, sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. He had to have a body prepared. So the word prepared there brings in the, 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 the doctrine of the sonship. All right? So the, the sacrifice of redemption had to come through the sonship of Jesus Christ. The sonship has, was relative to the flesh, the body of Jesus Christ, and not to deity. Right. Had nothing to do with deities whatsoever. So nowhere, listen carefully, in the description of the birth of Jesus Christ is there mention of Him being God's eternal Son. There are 13 chapters in the book of St. John, chapter 5 to chapter 17, that describes Jesus Christ in every detail that can possibly describe it as to who He is, what He is, what He was here for, the Lamb of God to take it away, the sins of the world, the vine, uh, the, the, everything about it. Read it for yourself. But there's nowhere in the book of John and every description that John made him, he never referred to him as being the eternal son. He always referred, when he referred to the sonship, he referred to him as the only begotten son of God. Not the only eternal son of God. All right. Looks to me like out of 13 chapters, if he'd have been the eternal son, it looks to me like somebody in the Word of God somewhere would have had the revelation of what he was and would have said something about it. They said something about him being the begotten son, didn't they? Yeah. If he'd have been the eternal son, why didn't John say about it? Why didn't the angel say something about it when he come down there to tell Mary what to call this, this, this baby that's going to be born? He said, call him the son of God. He didn't call it. He didn't call him nothing about the, the eternal son of God. He's the only begotten son of God. I'm telling you tonight, saints of God, stay when the word of God, the word of the Lord is truth and truth will set you free. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God! Hallelujah! 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 
So not one time in the whole 13 chapters of, from chapter 5 to 17 that describe Jesus in every way in the world that, that could be described. Not one time did it mention anything about Jesus being God's eternal son. Not one single solitary time. Where did Jesus get the title Son of God? He got it at his birth at Bethlehem. Nowhere in Scripture is there a title used of Jesus Christ being the begotten Son of God except in prophecy and that was concerning his birth. Nowhere. Nowhere in Old Testament or the New does it refer to Jesus Christ as existing as an eternal son prior to his coming in this world through the womb of Mary at the city of Bethlehem? Nowhere. How can you establish a doctrine when you can't find one scripture in the Old Testament, nor one in the New, that will describe Jesus Christ or even refer to him as being existing as a son prior to him being born of the virgin birth Mary? Hallelujah. If the sonship refers to deity, then deity had a beginning. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And if deity had a beginning, that destroys the Trinitarian concept of the eternal sonship. So that doctrine don't hold water either way. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. They say, when you get them held up in a corner, they wasn't talking about his flesh. They were talking about deity. It's not talking about deity, because if that was the case, then deity had a beginning. Deity can't have a beginning. It wouldn't be deity if it didn't have a beginning. So, so, so the very, the very thing itself destroys the doctrine of eternal sonship of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. All right, so let me show you something. Let me show you something in John 17, 5. I want to go back and read that because we're fixing to get into it now and explain what it means. John 17 and 5, let's look at it just exactly like we did a while ago, and then we'll explain it. All right? Notice, and then we want you to come on down there and pick up uh, Isaiah 60, 18 22, and we'll talk about that a little bit. John 17, 5. What do you say? And now, O Father. And now, O Father. Glorify thou me. Glorify thou me. With thine own self. With thine own self. With the glory. With the glory. Which I had, which with, I thee had with thee. Before the, before world, the world. world. What does the word glorify mean? What does the word glory mean? What kind of glory was Jesus asking for? If he'd have been, if he'd have been uh, the eternal Son of God, he wouldn't have had to ask for glorification. He would not have had to ask for any type of glory. If the sonship would have involved deity, if it would have involved deity, you know what deity is? Deity is God Almighty. So the sonship had nothing to do with deity. It had nothing to do with God as far as deity was concerned. The sonship had only to do with the human flesh of Jesus Christ. Because that flesh was the replant, the sacrifice, the Lamb of God that was going to shed innocent blood 
by the redemption of mankind on the face of this earth. It has to do with his flesh and not his deity. It cannot mean deity. There's no way that it can mean deity. And it cannot mean both deity and flesh. It can only mean flesh. Only flesh. That's all it can mean. All right. Now he said, let's look at chapter 60 of the book of Isaiah. Let's look at some, some prophecies that prophesied about the work of Jesus Christ when he would come to this earth. And we look at the whole chapter there, the whole chapter, the whole 60th chapter. If you will read it for yourself, I can't read all that's too long. I'll just pick up an excerpt here and there. But the whole 60th chapter of the book of Isaiah is a prophetic declaration of the time when through Jesus Christ will come the full restoration of Israel and the Messiah's reign in the millennial kingdom. And, and, and the battle, the last battle with the devil and his kingdom, and he will conquer every rebellious person and nation and kingdom that's ever reigned in this world. The world there he's talking about has to do with this earth. Cosmos. Means this world system of that is under the curse of God as a result of the disobedience of Lucifer and then later Adam. But this world that you're looking at tonight, my friend, is not like it was when God created in the beginning. No, sir. The man that we are tonight, we're not the same man uh, that we were when God created man, put him in the garden of Eden. We are fleshly being. We are the praise nature. We are under the curse and anathema and the wrath of God. And because of sin, we'll die and decay and rot and go back. This world, there was no such thing as rebellion in a, in a, in a social system of this world prior to the time that Lucifer rose up and opposed God on the throne in heaven. And God put him out of there. He come down here and tempted man. Everything's created perfection. Tempted man. He disobeyed. And you lost it. You lost the perfection. You lost your righteous nature. You lost your eternal home. There wouldn't have been no need for a sonship. No need for a sacrifice. If there hadn't been no rebellion. All right. So the whole 60th chapter of the book of Isaiah is a prophesying about the work that Jesus Christ is going to come to do when he finally comes 700 years later, born by the virgin birth, Mary. What did he say? Verse 18, chapter, uh, verse 22, through, uh, and uh, rather, uh, Isaiah 60, 18, 22, what I'm trying to say. Violence shall no more be heard in the... All right. This is a prophecy here. This is a time. That Jesus was a praying for in John 17 and 7. He said that violence will be no longer. This is a prophecy here of the restoration and the work that Jesus Christ was going to do through the work of the ministry of the sonship. All right, violence should be no more. 
Violence shall be no more heard in thy land. Read on. Wasting nor destruction within thy borders. Read on. But thou shalt call thy walls salvation and thy gates praise. Read on. The sun shall be no more thy light by day. Neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee. Read on. But the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light. Yeah. And thy God thy glory. Yeah. The sun shall no more go down. Neither shall thy moon withdraw itself. Yeah. Why? For the Lord shall be thine everlasting light. Yeah. And the days of thy mourning shall be ended. Thy people also shall be all righteous. They shall inherit the land forever. The branch of my planting, Listen. the work of my hands, yeah. that I may be glorified. Yeah. A little one shall become a thousand, Listen. and a small one a strong nation. Yeah. I, the Lord, will hasten it in I, his time. The Lord will do what? Hasten, hasten in his time. In his time. Right. There was a time that through the work and the ministry of Jesus Christ, that the restoration of this earth would be accomplished when Jesus Christ conquered the forces of the devil and all rebellious nations that ever opposed the kingdom of God on this earth. That's why Jesus Christ taught his disciples to pray, not your will, but that God's will be done. That the will in this earth will be the same as it is in heaven. All right, what is the will of heaven? The will of heaven is that everything will be on the sovereign rule of God Almighty that will be glorified, that will bring glory to God. Everything that Jesus Christ done, he wanted to glorify God. And the glorification of God means doing the perfect will of God. All right. So he's just simply praying, God, I want to do your perfect will. That's what the word glorified means. means completion. I want to complete your will. That's why I prayed in the garden. Not my will, but thine be done. He surrendered his fleshly will to the will of God when he died on the cross of Calvary. Praise God. And so the Lord here in John chapter 17 was not praying to go to heaven and sit on a throne or stand beside God or sit beside God. He's a praying for the day to come that all things would be restored and the curse would be removed and man would be redeemed and would get back to perfection that we lost through the rebellion of the devil and Adam. Yes. Oh, God. He was praying for a time that the work of the sonship would not be needed nor required. That's all in the world he's a praying for. Now, let's look at Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. Listen to what it says here. Now, this, this two verses here is going to give you a double work, two-fold work of Jesus Christ. Verse 1 and half of verse 2 gives you the work of Jesus Christ in the flesh at the first advent. Beginning with the word and in chapter 2 is a conjunction, a time, the latter work that he's going to do when it gets to heaven with that which he has done on this earth. 
So let's read it and listen to what the what the Word of God has to say. What did he say, Brother King? The Spirit of the Lord God. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me. The Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings. To preach good tidings unto the meek. Unto the meek. He has sent me to bind he up. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. The brokenhearted. Oh yeah. To proclaim liberty to, to the proclaim liberty. To the captives. And the opening of and, the prison. Alright, the opening of the prison. To them that are bound. To them that are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of to the Lord. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And the day of vengeance of our God. Alright, now right there. And the day of the vengeance of our Lord is a talking about the sixth chapter of the book of Revelation in the time of the tribulation when the wrath of God is going to take vengeance upon this ungodly world. God is going to cleanse heaven and earth. And you're going to have a new heaven and a new earth. And everything that's rebelled against God will be restored back to the original sovereign rule of God Almighty before Lucifer ever was rebellious against God. And Adam disobeyed the Lord and brought the curse of this earth upon mankind and upon his labor. And the vengeance. Read the rest of that. To comfort all that mourn. To comfort all that mourn. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. Appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. To give unto them beauty for ashes. Talking about the tribulation here. The oil of joy for mourning. Millennial kingdom, the oil for joy for mourning. The garment of praise. All right. For the spirit of heaviness. Oh, yes. That they might be called. That they might be called. Trees of righteousness. Yes. The planting of the Lord, uh-huh. that He might be glorified. That He might be glorified. What's going to glorify? Restoration. What's going to glorify? Restoration. What's going to glorify? Restoration. Oh, Jesus. When he's talking about being glorified there, he's not talking about feel, uh, receiving a, a, a spiritual body. He's talking about a glorification here. It means, it means a, a submission to the complete will of God, and that will of God has been completely accomplished, and the restoration has been finished and accomplished, and all the work that he come, was sent down here to this world to do has been fulfilled. And that's what he was a praying for. He was a praying for the time to come that the restoration would come to Israel and would come to humanity and come to this earth, and the earth would receive restoration from the curse and all rebellion would be removed from national origin that was opposed to the will, the kingdom of God on this earth and in heaven. That's why you're praying for. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. He prayed for a position for himself. He's a prayer for the kingdom of God to be accomplished, the will of God to be accomplished in his life and in his sacrifice. But the Trinity said he's a praying for a position for himself so he can sit up there on the beside God Almighty. He didn't have nothing of the sort in his mind. He wasn't praying for himself for a position in heaven. He's already got that, my friend. 
Because the Apostle Peter already stood up and said that don't you know good and well that God had made this Jesus that you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He was prophesied in the book of Psalms. He's going to be the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He already knew what he's going to be. They had an inscription over his cross that said King of the Jews. He didn't deny that he was a king. They confessed their sins to him. He didn't He didn't deny that he wasn't God. Oh no, friend of mine. He wasn't praying for a position for himself. He's already got that position in heaven. He was a praying for the to glorify Him here meant that, Lord, complete the will of God in my life that would result in the restoration of the kingdom of heaven being accomplished through the rule of the sovereign will of God. Mercy, mercy. Oh, hallelujah. I'll show you. I'll show you what he's praying for. Philippians two. This is time he's a praying for nine eleven. You listen to this word here. Jesus wasn't asking nothing for himself, but Paul described that in Philippians two nine through eleven, what would be accomplished through uh, Jesus Christ, the sacrificial offering on the cross of Calvary. Because he said, the hours come. I'm fixing the goals. And he said, and when he got to Gethsemane, he said, this flesh don't want to die. This flesh is rebelling. This flesh don't. He said, if there's any other way that I could drink this cup, uh, that I could get by without drinking this cup, let it pass from me. And so when he's a praying here, it's the same kind of prayer that he's a praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was a flesh that didn't want to die. But he's a praying that his, he would have the power to surrender the will of the flesh yeah. in order to bring glory to All God. Right. And would accomplish the restoration. Oh, the flesh didn't want to die. You have to pray yourself. Your flesh don't want to yield. Your flesh don't want to die. Your flesh don't want to pray. Your flesh don't want to sacrifice. But you got to surrender. He said, not my will, but thy will be done. Right. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And this was the time and the hour and what he was praying for in John 17. Read it. Wherefore God also, wherefore God also, hath highly exalted him, and highly exalted, and given him a name, and given him a name, which is above every, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, every knee, every knee, should bow, should bow, of things in heaven, of things in heaven, and things in earth, things down here in this earth, things under the earth, and everything that's out of the earth, and that every tongue, that every tongue, should confess, should confess that Jesus Christ, that Jesus. Christ is Lord. Is Lord to the glory to the of God glory the Father. Of the Father. Praise God. Praise God. Praise to the glory of the Father. What brings glory to the Father? What brings glory to the Father? Does Him sitting up there beside and bring glory? Oh no! It's the will of God that's been accomplished in the sacrificial offering that was resided in the body of Jesus Christ that restores everything that's under the curse. That's what glorifies God. When he's a praying in the 17th chapter of the book of John, that was what he's a praying for that Paul wrote about in Philippians chapter 2, 9 through 11. All right. Hallelujah. He's a praying that this would be accomplished. You think I'm through yet? I ain't through. <laughs> Hallelujah. So Jesus is in the flesh was asking... 
that through his sacrifice down here, that that sacrifice would accomplish the will of God in restoration. Give me Romans eight seventeen to 25. Here's what Jesus was praying for. He was praying for the time to come when the will in heaven would be done in earth. The deliverance of all creation. And if children, and if children, then heirs, listen now, then heirs, heirs of God, heirs of God, and joint heirs, and joint heirs with Christ, with Christ. Now this is what he's praying for. If so he's be, praying that we're going to get all of our inheritance, you know. That brings glory to God. That's being glorified. That's what he's talking about over there in the 17th chapter book of John. He's praying that this right here would come. All right. Heirs, join heirs with Christ. If so be, if so be that we suffer with that him, we suffer with him, that we may be we also, also glorified, glorified together, together for I reckon. Uh huh. Now, what does the word glorified means? It simply means that the completion of redemption in us may become complete. All right. Simple as that. Because he tells you in this verse right here what he's talking about. So glorifying God is, is, is the thing that brings about the completion of that which Jesus Christ come to complete. And, and God does not get glory and is not glorified until this time comes. Hallelujah. But there will come a time that we that are saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name, will eventually receive a spiritual body likened to Jesus Christ, made in the image of God. And that's what he's talking about. That we glorify God because we're all going to be glorified together. Read on. For I reckon. For I reckon. That the sufferings of this present That the sufferings. Of this present time. Of this present time. Are not worthy to be not compared. Not worthy to be compared. With the glory. With the glory. That shall be revealed. That shall be revealed. In us. In us. For the earnest. You see, we're going to have some glory revealed in us. How are we going to have it? By the, by the completion of the redemption that God has provided for mankind oh, God. that makes up the body of Jesus Christ. Oh, God. And when God sees us standing there as a bride, praise God, and He sees the redemption of the work of Jesus Christ, then what it has accomplished and what His purpose was for sin in the first place, it will glorify God and it will bring glory to the kingdom of God. But whenever, when Jesus shows off this bride of His, Praise God, as she come to sudden down that streets of gold, a road in white, and God, praise God, is going to get the glory. I said, God is going to get the glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And whenever the Bible talks about a marriage, and whenever uh, Jesus Christ, our husband, stands up there, praise God, if we get married to him, we're already a spouse, Paul said. We're engaged, but there's going to come a time we're actually going to have the ceremony. Then we're going to have, praise God, marriage supper of the Lamb. And then we're going to have a honeymoon on top of all that. Yeah. And when all of this is accomplished, then this is what glorifies God. Read on. For the earnest expectation of the earnest expectation 
of the creature, of the creature, waited for the manifestation, waited for the manifestation of the sons of God, of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity. Oh yeah, not willingly, not willingly, but by reason of Him, read on, who hath subjected the same in hope. Uh huh. Because the creature itself, the creature itself, also, uh huh, shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty. Into the glorious liberty. Of That's what children. Christ was praying for. Read the very next verse under John 17 and 7, and you'll see that he prayed for the disciples. That God would keep them. Yes, sir. Why was he praying? He was a praying because this right here is what Paul said was what the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was all about. He said, I've got to go, but I want to pray for them before I leave. Mm. All the 17th chapter of the book of John was what had to do with the restoration, with the keeping, with the redemption, with the glorification, and the glory of God. It was not a selfish prayer that he would come somehow or another, uh, be brought to heaven, and set up there in a position of authority and, 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 and receive glory by being in the presence of the Father. No, sir. It was just simply that the work of his body, which was the redemption of mankind, would be accomplished. And that God would get the glory through that accomplishment. And right. he's telling us that right here in this all verse. Right. Is that all of that? No. Read on. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered yes, from the, the creature, bondage that's of me, corruption. the flesh. Going to be delivered. From the bondage of corruption. From the bondage of corruption, which in, is in my flesh. Into the glorious liberty. Into the glorious liberty. The children of God. The children of God. That's for, eternity he's talking about. For we know. For we know. That the whole creation. That the whole creation. Groaneth. Groaneth. And travaileth. And travaileth. In pain. In pain. Together. Together. Until now. Until now. And not only they. And not only they. But ourselves, ourselves also, also, which have the first fruit, which have the first fruit of the spirit, of the spirit, even we ourselves, even we ourselves, grown within, grown within ourselves, waiting for waiting. the adoption. I'm waiting. To I'm live. waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Wow. I hadn't got it yet. But I'm waiting for it. Hallelujah. And that's what Jesus said. I want all of my work that I've done here on this earth to be accomplished. And I'm praying for that time that, praise God, we can see the finish of it all. Hallelujah. Right there is what he's to tell you. What's the rest to say? Waiting for the adoption. Waiting for the adoption. To wit. To wit. The redemption, the redemption of, our of our body. For we are saved by hope. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen but is hope not that hope. Is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth. For what a man seeth. Why does he yet hope for it? hope for it? But if we hope for that we see not. Read on. Then do we with patience wait for it. What is Jesus praying for? That's what he's praying for. All these that I died for, that that be that that the final, the final act of redemption, when they receive the glorified body, and they walk the streets of gold, and all earth has been cleansed from the curse, 
and all rebellion and insurrections and oppositions to God and His cause and His will and His sovereignty on this earth will have been under subdued and annihilated and done away with. And the earth will be set on fire and renovated. And the heavens will pass away with a great noise. And the elements will melt with a fervent heat. And there will be new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. There will be no whoremongers there. There will be no liars there. There will be no adulterers there. There will be no devil there. There will be no antichrist there. There will be no sin there. There will be no swearing there. Praise God. That's the way it was. That's the way it was in the beginning. That's the way it was in the beginning. Before there was a Lucifer that ever rebelled against the divine throne of God. What was the position of Lucifer? What was his authority in heaven? He was a cherub of God. He was a bright star. He was the most beautiful of all angelical creations. He got exalted himself, lifted up, and he was given the authority to protect the holiness of the throne of God. And he desecrated that authority. Thereby, he corrupted heaven. And he was put out. And he caused many of the angelical beings of heaven to follow him. There has never been a, a final, a final vengeance. There has never been a final. What can I say? What's the word here I'm trying to find? Judgment or, or dealing with Satan. See, they still running loose down here in this earth. God had never got vengeance back for what Lucifer done to him in heaven. Just kicking him out of heaven ain't, ain't all he's going to do to him because he come down here and corrupted this earth. He's got to get vengeance yet for, for corrupting heaven. He ain't got vengeance yet on that. That's what Jesus is praying for. He's praying for the day that the justice of God can be done. All right. And it's all going to be done through the body of Jesus Christ. It's through Jesus Christ that defeats death. It's through Jesus Christ that defeats sin. It's through Jesus Christ that defeats the devil. Yes, sir. And so God cannot be glorified. And God's will in heaven cannot be done in this earth until Jesus Christ finishes and accomplishes the will wherein He comes to this earth to do. And it will not be accomplished until the final devil is in hell and the final sinner is a belching and a burning and blistering and crying in the pits of hell that oppose God and God's cause. And all nations have got to be judged. The Antichrist has got to be done away with. That's what Jesus Christ is a praying for there. For that day to come, that this will be accomplished. Can you say hallelujah? Hallelujah. Do you see it? Hallelujah. So Jesus Christ is not praying to go back to heaven and be in God's presence. He's already fixing to go there when he comes out of that grave. Hallelujah. He was not praying for something that's going to already happen. It had been a foolish prayer. Give me First Corinthians 15, 24, 28. Here's what he was praying for. Jesus was praying for this time that would come and be accomplished. What do you say? Then cometh the end. Then cometh the end. When he shall have delivered up. When he kingdom. shall have delivered up. The kingdom. Here's what he's God. praying for in the 17th chapter. 
brother preacher friend of mine. Right here. If you don't know other, if you don't learn no other scripture in the Bibles, learn this one right here and connect it with John 17 and 7. This is what Jesus was a praying for right here. He's a praying for the time of the end. He's a praying when all heaven and earth has, 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 had received the wrath of God and justice and judgment and everything has come to judgment. Everything, all the curse has been removed. All rebellion in heaven and earth has been liquidated and everything has, has, has been accomplished that he come here on this earth to accomplish. And he's a saying the end that when the kingdom, he's a talking about all of the kingdom of this earth, that he's going to reign Israel's kingdom over the, everything. It doesn't make any difference, whatever you want to call it. The kingdom of heaven, whatever. He's a saying here that when the end time comes, this is what Jesus was praying for, that the end, when what the kingdom shall yeah. be Read. Delivered up. To Delivered the, up. To God, even to God, the Father. Even the Father. When he shall have put down when all When he rule, shall have put down all what? All rule. All rule. And all authority. Now and then, powers. let me stop right here to say that you would, you would think here that he's going to deliver up the kingdom to the Father. You would think by reading the, the, the essence or the scripture out of context that Jesus is going to stand up there in a person and that God the Father is going to stand up there in a person and Jesus Christ is going to walk up there and say, here it is, Father, here's the kingdom. That's not what it means. Delivering up the kingdom simply means the fulfillment of the redemption of the sonship. There'll come a time when the sonship will cease. And this is a time that it will cease. Uh-huh. It's not an eternal sonship. He will not, he has not always been an eternal son. He will not always be an eternal son. The sonship has to do with redemption and restoration. And when that's accomplished, the sonship is relinquished, or the position of sonship is relinquished. And he's given it to us right here. So he just, when he's talking about deliverance here, he's not talking about walking up there to God and say, here's the kingdom, Father. The Father already owns the kingdom. Out of God's world, Jesus Christ is going to give God something he already owns. He said to heaven and earth belong to him. I read it to you last night in the book of Isaiah. He said, I spread all that outside myself. I spoke, I spoke it into existence. It's mine. It belongs to me. He ain't talking about, he ain't talking about delivering up a literal kingdom here and say, all right, here, here's all the kingdom here. God already owns that. He's simply talking about the deliverance here is, is deliverance of the, of the position of the sonship and he no longer needs the act of redemption because the last soul that's ever going to be saved has been saved and the devil is put down in hell with all of his angels. The earth has been renovated. The judgment has taken place and everybody that didn't, wasn't saved, they was put into hell and it was a new heaven and a new earth. It just simply means that the work of redemption and the position of sonship is ceased. Read on. For he must reign. For he must reign. Till he hath put all enemies under his feet. Alright, so he must reign as son until our Redeemer, as Savior, until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed. So when he's done that, is death. Yeah. For he hath put all things under his feet. All right, he's put all things under his feet. That doesn't mean that he's standing up there and he stomped everything down and they all standing under his feet. 
You know it don't mean that. It just simply means that he has conquered. That's what it means. Whenever he gives us the power to, to, to stomp, to step, to trod on serpents and scorpions, he doesn't mean that we're going to get out here and stomp the devil out of people. I guess not. That's right. So when he's talking about putting it under his feet here, he's not talking about bringing all the kingdom and somehow another getting everything under his feet. He'd have to have some mighty big feet with it to get everything in heaven under his feet. So you know he ain't talking about that. It's just simply talking about conquering. Just like it's talking about delivering the kingdom unto the Father. It's a figure of speech. means that the sonship has ceased because it has accomplished its means and its purpose. And the same way right here, when he talks about the thing that's under his feet, it means I've conquered every enemy of God and man as far as salvation and redemption is concerned. All right. What else did he say? But when he saith all things are put under him... All right, when he says all things are put under him... It is manifest that he is accepted. All right, it's manifest that he's accepted. Which did put all things under him. All right, read on. And when all things shall be subdued... And when all things shall be subdued... Then shall the Son also... Then the Son also... Himself... Himself... Be subject unto him... No, it didn't say... The Lord shall be put under him... But remember, Jesus Christ is both Lord and Christ. Only the Son position of Jesus Christ will be submitted and surrendered and put under. Oh, ain't that beautiful, Holy Ghost filled church? Do you understand that? <laughs> He's just relinquishing one position. He holds a bunch of positions. He's going to reign as Lord. Yeah. But the Lord is not surrendering uh, to God. The Son is surrendering to God. All right? When was the Son born? By Virgin Mary. That's when He was born. Hallelujah. What was it born for? For the work of redemption. What's been surrendered to God? The work of redemption. Because everything's been redeemed. Read on. Only the sonship is being relinquished here. Then shall the son also then shall the son also himself himself be subject unto him. Be subject unto him that put all things that under put him. all things under him. That God may that be God all may be all in and all. all. Hallelujah. So Jesus Christ will not have the position of sonship, but He will be Lord of Lord and King of King, and will reign as the Sovereign God in eternity yes, to eternity. God. That's what He was praying for in John 17 and 7. For this verse right here to be fulfilled. All right. What else did I give you to read? First Corinthians 15? No, you didn't read that. Revelation. Revelation chapter 20. We've got three more verses and we'll quit. Here's what he's praying for. Revelation 27 through 10. And when the thousand years are expired... When the thousand years were expired... Satan shall be loosed out of Satan his Satan shall be loosed... Oh, yeah. And shall go out to deceive the nations, go out to deceive the nations, which are in the four quarters of the of the earth, four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog. All right, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. Yeah, going to battle against him one more time. The number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Mm -hmm. 
and they shall, or and they went up on the breadth of the earth. Oh yeah, and compassed the camp of the saints about. Yes, and the beloved city. Yes, and fire came down from God out of heaven. Fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And devoured them. And the devil that deceived them. And the devil that deceived him was cast into the was lake cast of fire. Into the lake of fire and brimstone. And brimstone where the beast, where the beast and the false prophet and the false prophet are are and shall be tormented. And shall be tormented day and day night, and night forever, for hell and ever forever. And forever, and ever, and ever, and ever, forever, and ever, forever, and ever. That's what he's a praying for. For the day that devil would be defeated and put out of this world and never have the opportunity to oppose the will of God in heaven or this earth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Here in the first seven verses of Revelation 21. This is what he's praying for in John 17 and 7. And I saw a new heaven. And I saw a new heaven. And a new and earth. A new earth. For the first heaven. For the first heaven. And the first and earth. And the first earth. Were passed away. Were passed away. And there was no more sea. And no more sea. And I, John. And I, John. Saw the holy city. I saw the holy city. New Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem. Coming down coming from down. God. Uh, from God, out of, out heaven, of heaven, prepared as a bride, prepared as a bride, adorned for, adorned her, for her husband. And I heard that's what he's a praying for. That's what he's a praying for. That's what he's a praying for. Right. right there in John 17 and 7. Because this is the final and completion and the accomplishment of the will of God concerning the body of Jesus Christ as far as redemption and restoration and the removal of rebellion and removal of the curse of God from everything that was under God's creation and God's rule. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ has accomplished that. And now he's ascended. The new the earth has been renovated. The heavens, praise God, is new. The earth has been made new. And here the new Jerusalem is coming back to this earth. Praise God as a as a bride that's adorned for her husband. That two seven read on. No. And I heard a great voice. Listen now. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, out of heaven saying, behold, behold, the tabernacle the of God, tabernacle of God is with men, is with men, and he, and he will dwell, will dwell with them, with them, and they shall and be. They Shall be his people, his people, and God Himself, and God Himself shall, shall be, be with them, will be with them, and be their God, and be their God, and God. That's what God wants. That's what Jesus went. God went down there in the garden to visit with Adam in the cool of the day, but the devil beat him out of it. But there's going to come a time when God is going to be God, and He'll be sovereign oh, again. He'll rule through the body of Jesus Christ, praise God, and He will be God, and we'll be His people, and. He'll dwell in the midst of us, and we'll not need a Redeemer, because we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Read on! And God shall wipe away and all God tears. shall wipe away, not the Son. The Son's already surrendered His Sonship. Uh-huh. But now, it's all God! Oh, Jesus! It's all God! Who is God? Jesus. Yeah. So God, so now then, the verse switches. 
referring from Jesus as the Son to Jesus as God. Uh-huh. And God will rule all of His creation through Jesus Christ as He reigns in the position of Lordship now. He didn't reign down here as a position of Lordship when He was on this earth. He was a servant come riding in on a donkey. But praise God, the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation tells me that when He comes back again, He's going to be riding on a white horse. He's going to be riding on a white horse. Hallelujah! 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 Thanks to do that! You know why? He's riding on a white horse because that denotes kingship. That denotes authority. That denotes completion. That denotes Lordship. He's not coming back to this earth to reign in the flesh as a servant. Praise God. But he has accomplished that which his body was sent here to perform. And when he comes back, he will do the work of God through the power of lordship. Yes. So that's why you're hearing the word God there instead of the Son. What else did he say? God's going to wipe away the tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death. Now, that don't mean that God's going to stand up there and every time you cry, he's going to wash your face with a, with a towel or with a handkerchief. Now I'll go back to what Jesus is praying for. It just simply things means now that everything that caused sorrow, that caused sickness, that caused death, that caused heartache, that caused disappointment, that causes a heart broke, brokenness, that causes anything to be sad, it's all been removed. It's all been restored. The curse has been removed. It's all, praise God, you're right back to Adam. Adam didn't cry. Adam didn't have a pain. Adam wasn't sick. Adam would have never died if he hadn't disobeyed God. We're going to get all that back. So here it is. It's been accomplished. The tears are going to be wiped away. That don't mean he's going to dab the tears that flow from my eyes. Just simply means the restoration has come. The curse has been removed. Redemption has been completed. Read on, my brother. Read on. There shall be no more death. No more death. Neither sorrow. Neither sorrow. Nor crying. Nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. No more pain. For the former things are passed away. For the former things are passed away. It's all been accomplished and completed through me. And he... the son. All passed away. And behold, he and he that sat upon the throne. That's what? He. He. I thought you was them. He. I thought the three up there. He. <laughs> Trinity says, there's three up there. But John been up there. He never seen but one. Now he, who's it talking about? He's been talking about God. Yeah. He's just been talking about God here yes, all the time. Sir. Wiping away our tears. No more sorrow, you know, death conquering and all that. Now he that sits upon the throne, what is going to happen to it? Behold. Behold. I. I. Make all things I new. I make all things new. And he said unto me. And he said unto me. Right. Right. For these words For these are true and are faithful. true and faithful. And he. And he. Said unto me. Said unto me. It is done. It is done. I It's am. all finished. I am Alpha. Listen, it's all finished. And now then, I'm no longer a son, but I am what? I am Alpha. Alpha. I'm 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 Alpha. And Omega, the beginning and the end.
Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hey, he's God Almighty now. Yeah. I'm Alpha. Omega. The beginning. The last. Yeah. He that was, yeah. which is, which is to come, yes, sir. God Almighty. Oh, hallelujah. God Almighty. So now then, Jesus will reign in heaven as God Almighty instead of the Son. Boy, that destroys eternal sonship, don't it? Yeah. He ain't no son now, honey. He's God Almighty. He's the first and he's the last. He's Alpha and he's Omega. The work of the Son had to do with the flesh. It didn't have to do with deity. Is that all of that? No. Come on, read on some more. I can't hardly stand it. I am Alpha and Omega. I'm the Alpha. Omega. The beginning and the beginning and the ending. I will give. I will give. Unto him. Unto him. That is the thirst. That is the thirst. Of the fountain. Of the fountain. Of the water of life. Of the life. Of the fountain of life. Of the water of life. He that overcometh. He that overcometh. Shall inherit all things. Shall inherit all things. And I. And I. Will be his God. Well, I. Will be his God. Who? Jesus. Who? Jesus. Oh, God. Jesus is going to be my God. Not my Redeemer, not my Savior, not my uh, propitiation at that time, not my atonement, not nothing but my God. Yeah. The flesh was my Redeemer. The flesh was my propitiation. The flesh was my atonement. Right. The flesh and blood can me from my oh, sin. But now I have been glorified. But now I have been restored. But now redemption is complete. And now he's my God. I'm washed out. <laughs> and he shall be my son. And he shall be my son. He ain't talking about Jesus' son. He's talking about us. About us. Right. Don't you let the devil get that squeeze in there to make you think he's talking about Jesus' no, no, no. son. He's talking about us here. About his us. children. Now, one more verse of Scripture. Revelation 2, 3 and 5, and let's close. Here's what, that's what Jesus is praying for right here. He's praying that this would come. Yeah. This is the glory he was looking for. This is the glorification he was talking about in John 17 and 7. He wasn't talking about going up there and sitting down beside the Father like the Trinity says. No, he's praying for the completion of the work of redemption. When all things will be restored back to the originality, free from rebellion and the curse. That's what he's praying for. Now close with this verse. And there shall be no more curse. There should be no more curse. That's but, what he's praying for. But the throne of God. But the throne of God. And of the Lamb. And of the Lamb. Shall be in it. be in it. And his servant. And his Shall serve him. Shall serve him. And they shall see his And face. they shall see his And his name. And his name. Shall be in their forehead. Shall be in their forehead. And there shall be no night there. And there shall be no night there. And they need no candle. And they need no candle. Neither light of the sun. Neither light of the sun. For the Lord for God. For the Lord God. Giveth them light. Giveth them life. And they shall reign and forever. And they shall reign and forever. Forever and ever. That's what Jesus was a praying for. That's the time he's a praying for. Praise God. And for 
Paul said, that was a time that we all groan and moan and wait for the time that He will become Lord of Lord and King of Kings and reign as Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end of God Almighty. Aren't you glad tonight that you know the truth of the living God? Praise God! Praise God! Praise God! Praise God! I'm glad for the word of the Lord. I'm glad for the truth of God. I'm glad that God has, has fulfilled His will and that it's going to be accomplished. Look up, child of God. Look up, preacher. Look up, child of God that's going through trouble and trial and tribulation. There's a day coming when you're going to get it all back. He said that the suffering would not even be compared or even worthy of mention compared with the glory that you're going to get when it's all finished, when it's all cleansed, when it's all redeemed, when the curse is removed and rebellion is done away with. And now everything is clean. No sin, no devil, no curse. And the new Jerusalem comes down and sits down on the face of this earth to become the city of heaven and the abode of the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand tonight. Lift our hands and thank the Lord that we have the Word of God that declares unto us what is coming for the child of God. What a reward! What a reward! Praise Him! Praise Him! Praise Him! Let everything that hath praise, praise ye the Lord! Thank Him for it! Thank you for it. Thank you for it tonight. Hallelujah. Glory. Hallelujah. He's going to be my God. He's going to be my Lord. He's everything. He's all in all. He's the bright and morning star. He's the rose of Sharon. Thank God tonight I know Him in the power of the Holy Ghost. I thank God I know Him tonight in the power of the Holy Ghost. Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to tell you, sinner, you need to bow your knee tonight. You need to confess your sins tonight. You need to get the Holy Ghost tonight. So you be ready when the rapture takes place. And be ready when Jesus comes down to the church. Hallelujah. Because there's, a, there's something going to be for you. My Lord, I wish I could tell you. Paul couldn't describe it. The words of my mouth cannot express it. But you don't know. But Jesus Christ has accomplished something for you. He said, in my Father's house are many measures. If it were not so, I would have told it. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare, I'm coming back after you. That where I am, there you may be also. Get ready, church. We're about to receive our glorified body. You got a down payment on it. You got a first measure of it. But you fix it to get the rest of it. And it might even be tonight, and I wouldn't care if it was. Anybody wants the Holy Ghost here tonight? If you do, step out of those aisles. Come with your hands raised, repenting in your heart, worshiping the Lord. Come to this all tonight. God fill you with the Holy Ghost if you'll obey and do what He told you. Come on all over the building. All over the building if you want the Holy Ghost. Come on. Come on and kneel or stand. Whatever you want to do.
Hallelujah. Just worship the Lord if you've already repented. Tell God what you want. Give your heart to God. Thanks of God all over the world, all over the church tonight. You need to thank the Lord that you're saved and in that kingdom. Hallelujah. Let's pray tonight that these souls be filled with the Holy Ghost. Anybody else want the Holy Ghost? Come on. Come on, sinner! Come on, sinner! Come on, sinner! Get in the kingdom! Get in the kingdom! Hallelujah. Before it's too late. <laughs> the work of redemption is still in, in force. The work of redemption tonight is still in force. How many, how many saints of God will come and pray for these around the altar tonight? Come on, church. Come on, let's pray for these around the altar. Come on, let's read the Lord. Come on, sinner. The work of redemption is still functioning. Still in this world. But there's going to come a day that it's not going to be here. You need to get right with God tonight. Come on, church, let's pray.